The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 325. Man, pretty far in there now. Yeah. Also pretty far toward the end of the year. Yeah. So before we we get into (laughs) (laughs) Jinx. Jinx. Before we do anything else, I just want to remind our listeners, the last two weeks of this year, Paige and I will be taken off from the show. We are fine. We are safe. Nothing's happening. We need a break to catch up. We do this every year. So we're letting you know ahead of time that we're totally fine. It's just the last two weeks of 2023. We will take a break. So if you miss us, go back and listen to some of the old shows. Because we got plenty. Do we have plenty? I think we have around 325 of them. Yeah, so there's that. Reviews. You want to leave us a review? Just go to show notes, click on the link, leave us a review. It's the easiest way to do it. And we got a five-star great source of news, updates, and analytics. Well done and enjoy listening every week. Great weekly summary, updates on industry, key trends, analysis, and all with a sense of humor. Thanks for sharing. Please keep it up. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. I love this type of stuff. I never think of us as an analytics show, although we're getting ready to talk about something that a lot of people will consider analytics. We're also starting a little bit of a new tradition. Paige, I do these oil and gas predictions every year. Yep. I've been doing it since 2014, so this will be my 10th year of doing it. It started out at Modal Point, because Modal Point is my market research company, and you would hope that if I'm doing market research and oil and gas, I could spot trends for the future. People love this to the point that companies that are extremely large. We'll put theirs out right after this. Right after this. <laughs> and it sounds just like mine, which Aww. I work really hard to take it as a compliment. Although I had a Twitter conversation with somebody that noticed the same thing. And he was asking me about how do I think about it? And I go, I try to take it as a compliment. He goes, do you? I go, well, in my head, I hear the word loser, but I never say that outside. <laughs> but for all the companies and people out there who want to plagiarize my work, I'm fine with that. I have no crystal ball. I do not make any investments based upon the information we're getting ready to share. But our new tradition is we're moving this over from modal point to OGGN. So the predictions will now live at OGGN. You can actually go to the blog section of OGGN, which has not existed until you hear this, and actually watch the video on these same predictions. And we have other blog posts up there as well. So hear it here first. Hear it here first every year. Awesome. All right. So let's actually talk about last year's predictions and where you were right and where you were incorrect. Okay. So basically, I'm going to go down the list for last year. So this is 2022. My first prediction was peak people, that the world's population was slowing and that it would eventually level off and then eventually decline. I absolutely nailed that. We're going to end up peaking around 8 to 10 billion people. Then the populations will start declining. It's already happened in some countries like Japan. It's actually happened in some states in the U.S., like some of the eastern states. Actually, Louisiana is one, our home state. If that trend continues, you'll have less and less people, which means the same amount of natural 
resources will be shared with less people, which is going to make the world more abundant. We'll have less of an impact to our environment. It should be a utopia when we get there. Now, it's a couple hundred years away. But if you look at the data, absolutely nailed it, peak people. Unfortunately, Paige, I got this one right, and I really, really wish I didn't, which was major conflict. Boy, were you right. Double right, actually. Yeah, and I wish I was wrong about this. I hate to see people suffer. I hate to see people die. But unfortunately, everything I saw last year was pointed toward major conflicts for this year, and it happened. The next one was birth of the mega majors. They absolutely nailed that. Not only look at the recent acquisitions, but you look at the changes, uh, the differences in business strategy between Chevron and Exxon and Shell and BP. Shell and BP, of course, dumped a lot of their money and resources into renewables. Exxon and Chevron didn't. And in return, Exxon and Chevron both grew much bigger than Shell and BP. Now you add in the recent acquisitions that both Exxon and Chevron has made, and they are so much bigger than BP and Shell that I think BP and Shell has no chance of ever catching up. In fact, BP, love you to death. (laughs) I think you're an acquisition target and will continue to be an acquisition target until ExxonMobil decides it's the right time. So absolutely got that one right, birth of mega majors. My next one for last year was carbon capture and storage to become a business. Did I just go boom? Got that one right? (laughs) (laughs) My next one after that, which everybody told me I was crazy, was the anti-renewable movement will start. Well, Mm -hmm. Just Stop Pissing People Off is an anti-renewable movement who protests Just Stop Oil. So I absolutely got that one right. And that movement unfortunately, is growing. And people go, Mark, why are you saying it's unfortunate? We don't need anti any type of energy movements one way or the other. It distorts the facts. We absolutely do not need anti oil and gas environmental activists. It doesn't help anybody or anything. It doesn't even help them. They just don't know it yet. When you have the anti-renewable movement, then you're throwing shade on renewables, which have their place. But I absolutely got that one right, the start of the anti-renewable movement. The next one for last year was world will continue to be an energy shortage. I wish I would have gotten that one wrong. Unfortunately, I got that one right. Here's another one. People told me I was crazy in 2023. Because remember, these predictions that I'm talking about came out in 2022. As I said, shell growth will be slow. Well, it was almost non-existent. So I got that one right. Then I said for last year that offshore oil and gas industry will boom. A lot of people told me I was crazy because that's expensive oil. Well, I was not crazy. We had over $100 billion of investment in 2023 globally for offshore industry, which is the highest spend since 2012. So I absolutely nailed that one. Data shows it. Now, the other one I said that was going to happen last year is capital will be easier to get. I'm going to either call that a draw or I missed it. In a lot of ways, the investment community that was concentrating on the ESG metrics since the pandemic all the way to 2022 and 2023 got away from that, which did free up a lot of capital. However, a lot of companies actually didn't use it because they didn't want to grow last year. So I'm either I missed that one or I'll call it a draw because there was capital was easier to get. And then my last one for last year, and everybody told me I was crazy about this one, was that it would be a record business year for the oil and gas industry. Well, look at the profits that everybody <laughs> made. So I got that one right. So Paige, when you look at everything I did last year, I got 90% of the predictions right. Good job. A plus, buddy. Yeah. My norm is about 74%, and there'll be links in the show notes. You can go all the way back to 2014. I've done this every year, and you can see every year that I've done these predictions. That's a big jump from 74 to 90%. And honestly, a lot of that was luck, but it does kind of feel good to know that a lot of stuff I saw come and came, which not only helps our listeners, I hope, plan their businesses and their lives, but it's one of the things that we use with OGGN to plan our future strategic plan too, is what do we think the industry is good doing? Right. I got a lot of them right. It was fun. Maybe we should get into what I think is going to happen this year. Yeah. 
I feel like we should make this into a drinking game. (laughs) (laughs) Paige, before we get into my predictions for this year, let me do what I think our pricing will look like for 2024. So this is my 2024 pricing. Once again, please know I make any investments decisions on this. So I think rent will average about $96 a barrel. WTI will average about $91 a barrel. And that gas will go for about $3.30 per British thermal unit. Now, remember, that is my average for the entire year. I fully expect crude to go over $100 a barrel, probably at the very end or the very beginning, very end of first quarter of next year or the very mm-hmm. beginning of the second quarter. And if what's happening in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas doesn't get contained, I can see it hitting $140, $150. A barrel. It will come down. And I'm saying that the average will be the numbers I rattled off 96 for Brent, 91 for WTI, and that even gas. with the conflict in Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. Yeah, okay. even with the conflict for the Ukraine and Russia. Now, these are actually some good numbers. These are high enough where everybody can make money, including OPEC, which is one of the things OPEC is working on right now as we're talking is how to increase the revenue from oil by decreasing supply. At the same time, this amount of money allows us to make future investments so we can do exploration production, make sure the world's supply is there. And I think not next year, not 2024. But fingers crossed on our world's politicians, I think by 2025, we'll finally come out of this energy shortage and be okay. But that will be for next year's predictions. Very good. All right. So those are my pricing points for 2024. Let's get to what I think is going to happen. First one, see you in court. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to become socially acceptable for the oil and gas companies affected to sue environmental activists that interfere with their operations. And they're going to sue them in court all around the world. The interesting thing about this page is going to change the financial model of the activist organizations where, number one, they're going to have to think about risk management and have enough money to fight things in court. Number two, a lot of the court cases that are going now with the environmental activists, the anti-oil and gas groups, the lawyers for those groups volunteer because they support the cause, but they only do that because mm. it's only X amount of work. Right. When that X amount of work doubles, triple, quadruples, or is 100 times more, they're not going to do it for free. This is going to affect the environmental activist groups that don't like our industry in a way that I suspect is going to greatly clamp down on the amount of their physical protesting because they don't want to go to court. And for the first time ever, I think the courts around the world are going to be totally okay. Yeah, because I saw on Twitter the other day, Just Up Oil announcing that this one kid, I don't know, he's like early 20s, been arrested six times, Mark. Yeah. Six times. Yeah. Well, we talked earlier about Shell Sue and Greenpeace, right? Right. That's the beginning of this. And quite frankly, I think this is great. We're the only industry that has decided not to sue people that interfere with our actions because we're worried about what society thinks. Right. And I think we're Public over perception. that. And it's about freaking time. Yep. What else? Next one, natural gas infrastructure will boom, and it will continue to boom for the next couple of decades, quite frankly, because the promise of renewables has disappointed both consumers and politicians. Once again, I love renewables. They have their place, but they were pushed too hard, too fast with the promise that would make life cheaper, better, faster, cleaner for everybody and Almost none of that has panned out, and the world's demand for energy is growing while all this is going on, and the only easy solution is natural gas, but you got to be able to get it to where you need it. I think you're seeing natural gas infrastructure boom. Now, there's some sidebars on this. I don't want to get into too deep because we'll be on the microphone for four hours, but all the municipalities and cities in the U.S. that are implementing natural gas bans for new buildings, I think all that's going to go away. Now, not at the same time. Each one of those municipalities and cities will have to be sued. When they go to court, they're going to be unable to prove that it's useful for anything, And then it'll get overturned. So I think by 2026, all this natural gas ban stuff here in the U.S. will just go away. Not only that, but you got Guyana starting their own thing and promoting all that. What is it? The green? 
they built an entire infrastructure or by like the Catholic Church was throwing a fit, remember? Yeah, yeah. So different, especially in Africa, natural gas is the right fuel for their people instead of them burning wood and cattle dung. That's not even a choice. Right. Anybody thinks they should continue to burn wood and cattle dung Ugh. doesn't understand the particulates oh. that are released and the cancer that it causes. And natural gas is just a perfect fit for the entire world. So I think natural gas infrastructure boom will start. Let me stop here about my predictions because some people question me about this. You got to remember, my predictions are true predictions. So what I'm not saying is this will be the peak of the natural gas infrastructure structure. I'm not saying this will be the peak of CNU in court. I'm saying this is when it's going to start. It's a true prediction. Right. So everything I predict is I think we're seeing the beginning of it. I'm not saying we're seeing the middle or the end of right. it. Right. So just understand that. Here's one that people are going to think I am just bat crazy. I think ExxonMobil is a go private. Really? Why is that? Well, if you listen carefully when I said that, you just heard over 2 million people from every country in the planet go, <gasps> at the same time. <laughs> couple of reasons. If ExxonMobil goes private, it's going to free up their management for having to deal with the activist shareholders who quite honestly Ooh. don't understand the oil and gas industry. They're going to do an end around around that. But the other thing is it also allows them to make changes, especially operational changes without triggering any type of government investigation or having to answer to the board, which is going to do something to ExxonMobil, which sounds crazy. It's going to make ExxonMobil nimble. Interesting. Yeah. I really think ExxonMobil is going to go private. It's going to benefit them in a multiple ways. They will be the largest private held company in the world if they do that. And it's going to give them the ability to do whatever they want without having to answer to governments or boards or activist shareholders. Like they're having to do right now. Like they're having to do right now. Now, as a shareholder, ExxonMobil, I'm hoping you take care of your shareholders and do that, which I know you will. You always do. But I think ExxonMobil is going to go private next year. Interesting. Now, like I said, this is the beginning of it. Doesn't mean they'll finish the process. Right. Next, I think interest rates are going to get worse. I believe that. They've backed down a little bit right now, but I think they've backed down because we're heading to an election here in the U.S. I think after the election, interest rates will start going back up both here and around the world. And the problem with that is that's going to affect the large complex long-term projects that the world needs to be built. And so a lot of those larger long-term projects are going to be delayed because of the higher interest rates. However, that's just a product of where our world's economy is. I think our interest rates by the very end of 2024 will level off and actually hopefully start going down in 2025. So if you're looking to buy a home, just wait out another year. And by 2025, interest rates should be back to hopefully much better than they are now. But I do think interest rates are going to get worse right after election next year. Here's another one I'm going to get some grief about, but people listen to what I say. I think next year we're going to hit peak electric car sales. Hmm. Now, a bunch of reasons around this. Listen to me. I love electric cars in the right situation. I'm a car guy, and electric cars are fast, and they're fun to drive. They also have a lot of other applications. I think I was telling you the other day, Paige, when it was Amazon, and they were coming to deliver, and they were in the electric delivery. Oh, van, yeah. And it was so whispery, quiet. And it's like, this is kind of cool. That a but it's also kind of dangerous because you can't, you can't hear it. Hear yeah. it. Yeah. So you'd have to be like extra vigilant. I think it's up to the driver to be extra vigilant and hit the horn or whatever. He sees yeah. somebody's not paying attention. That's true. But I love electric vehicles in the right place. However, I think we've hit our peak. And let me tell you why. When electric vehicles, and by the way, electric vehicles are not new. Do you know Henry Ford's first vehicles were electric instead of gasoline? That makes sense. Yeah, they were lead-acid batteries. It wasn't until he found this waste product from the oil and gas industry called gasoline that they were just throwing away that he figured out the internal combustion engine might be a better way to go. I remember in the, was it the 80s, the Honda Insight, which probably nobody remembers that. It was no. one of the first commercial electric vehicles. This is why this whole environmental climate catastrophe thing, 
I've been through it once. Like I've, it's the same playbook. But anyway, let me get back to peak electric car sales. New round of electric cars. They've greatly improved them, greatly improved battery technology. All the early adopters have bought electric cars. Now, regardless of what anybody says, electric cars are only for wealthy people for a couple of reasons. Number one is the price of the vehicle is more than internal combustion engine. Now, when you go to buy one, that may not be apparent because of the state and government subsidies, but that somebody's paying those costs. So if you're not paying it, your neighbors are paying it with their taxes. But the other thing is, in order to make it useful, you need to be able to recharge your vehicle every night. And the only way to do that is to have a garage with a charger in it. And the only people who have garage or chargers in it are wealthy people. So your first round of early adopters bought electric vehicles, publicized it. A lot of great work on social media by the electric car companies. Tesla just blew it up. Tesla financially makes no sense, but they do good as a business because of the perception of Tesla in the public. Mm. So all the earlier adopters have bought vehicles and what they're all waiting for is what? More recharging stations. The number one reason people don't buy electric vehicles is their range anxiety. They're scared, which is a legitimate fear. I have that fear. Yeah. Yeah. So all the people who have electric vehicles right now are waiting for more charges to be built. However, if you've watched the news recently, you've seen that the sales of electric vehicles have tanked to the point that everybody, BMW, Mercedes, Ford, GM, everybody except Tesla has reduced their manufacturing electric vehicles anywhere from 20 to 50% because the demand's not there. Well, if you're a company that's going to build this infrastructure, these electric chargers around the country and around the world, and you're seeing that nobody's buying electric vehicles, are you still going to invest money building electric chargers? No, no, probably not. So the people that have electric vehicles that are waiting for these new chargers to be built so they don't have range anxiety are going to see there's no chargers being built. Guess what they're going to do? Their next vehicle is not going to be an electric vehicle. I think we had peak electric car sales now. Different cities, states, and countries around the world will peak at different times. So Norway has already peaked. You won't see an increase there because of what I'm talking about now, even though they have probably the best infrastructure in the world for electric vehicles, you're going to see the peak in major cities like here in Houston, Chicago, New York happen next year, I think. Other areas, this could take longer, but I think electric car sales have peaked. My next one, this is all my service buddies. It's been years and y'all been waited and y'all been starved to death and beaten up and stepped upon it. But it, guess what? It's your time. So off-field service bonanza. I think it's the beginning of a multi-year off-field service and equipment boom. If you look at what's going on, all the duck inventories are almost at zero. Capital is finally available for the operators. There's still supply chain issues. The demand for hydrocarbons has gone up and up and up and up. And that's not going to change. There's a need for the Halliburton's and the Slumberjays and Baker Hughes. And guess what, service guys? Now that leverage that the operators have had on you since the pandemic is going to go away. And now you're going to have the leverage. There's going to be more operators needing your help than you can provide. So the, the negotiation leverage will now switch back to the all-field service companies, which I'm kind of glad to see that. Those guys have done so much work in the last 10 years at low or no margins, basically because the operators squeezed them. Well, service companies, now it's your time to squeeze the operators. Yay! And operators, y'all started it. So I don't want to hear any <laughs> crap. <laughs> you know? <laughs> All joking aside, I do realize that that squeezing of margins by the operators is what they had to do to survive. Yeah. And I also realize that the service company taking no margin deals is what they had to do to survive and keep their people working. I'm making jokes about it, but it's what we did as an industry to, just to get through it. And we're through it. I think things have changed. So I think we're going to see an awful service bonanza. What's next? Molecular business. What does that even mean? Our industry has become a molecule business, not no. an energy business. Now- 
if you're somebody that doesn't like our industry and we start talking about coal and natural gas and crude oil, you think about that a certain way. But if you're somebody that doesn't like our industry and I talk about the molecules that make modern medicine possible, the molecules that make your cell phone possible, the molecules that make your pumpkin spice latte possible. Gross. You think about that differently, right? Mm-hmm. And we are becoming a molecular business with artificial intelligence. We're at the point almost, actually, we're at the point where we can manipulate molecules. We've been there for a long time, but we've always done it physically by using different solvents and catalysts and cracking techniques to separate the molecules and put them back together more or less how we want. Now we're going to be able to do it extremely precisely. And that's going to lead to a lot of things that may even lead to a way to pull carbon out of fuels. If you can tag that carbon somewhere and track it, now you know where that carbon came from, which is good change carbon accounting and carbon credits dramatically. But it may even be the point that you can tag it and have some membrane pull that carbon out for little or no cost. So the industry as a whole is going to move from being an energy industry to a molecular industry. Now, we're going to be a molecular industry that produces energy. But when you think about atoms and you think about atomic fission or fusion, that is a molecular industry that produces energy as well. I think that's where we're going. We're becoming a molecular industry. Interesting. All right. So what's next? Because I'm not really surprised by it. ESG is toast. In fact, ESG is so much toast. And for my people in the UK, that's a bad thing. In the UK, when you say toast, sometimes it's a positive thing. But in the US, that means something's gone, basically. In fact, I think ESG is toast is so much that our ESG podcast, we're changing the name to some type of sustainability. ESG started out as a buzzword, started gaining a lot of momentum during the pandemic and right after the pandemic. You had ESG metrics that a lot of companies were held to. A lot of investors looked at those ESG metrics to see if they wanted to deploy capital or not. It's really screwed up a lot of stuff. A lot of companies missed out because they couldn't hit those ESG metrics. And a lot of investors that skipped the ESG metrics made a lot of money when their competitors didn't. And I think the entire industry is just sick of ESG. And I think ESG is now getting a negative connotation. Now, I'm going to catch flack on this. I'm not saying ESG is bad. What I'm saying is companies using the term ESG and using ESG to guide their business in a way differently than they did before is going to disappear. Which is interesting because when you think of how, I can't remember when it was, but I think the FEC or the FC. Federal Communications Commission? No, it's whoever governs the investors in the public companies. We covered an article about it and I'm trying to think about it. FTC, Federal Trade Commission. Thank you. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I wonder how that's going to change. As far as I know, there are guidelines by the FTC. I didn't know if there is. But I don't think there's actually any laws or rules. I don't think it's gotten that far. And I don't think it's going to matter. I think it's going to disappear. I think it's going to totally disappear. I'm going to have to look into that. But yeah. What else? Shell growth. Good. Yeah. I don't just mean our shell fields. I mean all over the world. Good. The world is waking up and realizing that renewables are not going to fill the void for this energy shortage we're in, which means we need quick hydrocarbons. And the best way to get quick hydrocarbons is the unconventional shell fields all around the world. For everybody in the Permian and the Bach and everybody else that waited out this year waiting for stuff to happen and never really happened, oh, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen next year. So get ready. You're going to see a lot of money. you see a lot of infrastructure being built. You're going to see capital deployed. You can see shortage of rigs, shortage of rig hands. You can see shell growth. And we're at the point now where you start seeing it around the world. You can see a lot of it going on in Argentina. You start seeing a lot of it going on in China. And you're actually going to see, fingers crossed, some of it going on in Europe. What do you think is going to trigger that exactly? 
what I just said. We have just absence that, of energy right. that everybody thought the renewables were going to fill. We have to quickly fill that void. Offshore projects take a decade before they can come online. Right. So you need quick hydrocarbons, and the only quick hydrocarbons that are available are the shale fields. Once we have this election in, here in the U.S. That's what I was actually getting yeah, to. Is um, That's going to inspire confidence, political confidence in our industry. And at the same time, it only makes sense that we start production or we start putting resources, including capital, in the shale fields so we can hurry up and get production in a month or two. I think we're going to see a boom in shale growth for next year. All right. What else you got? My fave. Yeah? Yep. Oil field pride is back, baby. So when I was younger, if you worked in the oil field, you had pride. Yeah. And you saw stickers, right? Oil field pride. People were proud to work in this industry. It was great. There was jealousy from your neighbors. If you work for Exxon or Chevron, young people all over the world looked up to working in the oil and gas industry because yep. it's prosperity. That's how I grew up. Yeah. We've been beaten up, beaten down to the point that a lot of people aren't proud of this industry anymore. And this industry is the only thing that's going to save us from this energy shortage. At the same time, our world's population and our world's politicians are starting to realize that we're not evil, that we have tons and tons and tons of benefits. And what we do really works. It's not in vitro or it's not academia. It's not some report somewhere that says that we can meet energy demands with X, Y, or Z. We actually can really do it. And honestly, we're good people. So I think you can see a resurgence, awful pride. I think you see people proud to work in the industry again. And damn it, Paige, I'm ready for it to happen. Oh, it's well overdue. Well overdue. So there's my oil and gas predictions for 2024. If you have any comments on what I have to say, if you agree with me, if you disagree with me, I'd love for you to add some comments. You can write into the show and we can talk about your comments on the first Friday Q&A or go to OGGN.com, hit the blog, and you can add your comments to my predictions for that actual blog post. But yeah, love to have people's feedback. And hopefully, people, this is helpful to you, including the analysts out there who are going to use this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So analysts, take it. I know you're going to do it anyway, but hopefully this is useful to you as well. Yeah, I got a few on top of my head I'm not going to (laughs) mention. But stuff that's helpful is our two newsletters. Go to the show notes, sign up for both of them. Our Sunday update is blowing up. We're at 25,000 subscribers, and we've only done it for seven weeks. My grandfather, Han, who is a very famous chef in New Orleans who cooked for presents, his gumbo recipe went out this past Sunday in the newsletter. Oh, that's so good. it's literally a 130-year-old gumbo recipe that's been a family secret went out there. Look at you just sharing family secrets. Well, not all of them. Just the Well, food. that's <laughs> good. That's good because I'm not sharing my gumbo. <laughs> uh, and then the other one is the All Gas Events newsletter. We're entering the new year. If you're in sales and marketing. God, we got so much going on next year. And you want to know what conferences are going on, this is easy, free resources. Go sign up for that. Rig Count, where are we? Well, nothing but good, really. The United States is at 622, up four. Canada's up one at 197. Internationally, we're at up 22 at 962. And all of this is as of November 22nd. Love those numbers. Also love the numbers of our LinkedIn page. That community is growing as well. Go sign up for that. Uh, we have so much new stuff coming, and it's all going to be announced on LinkedIn page first. We talked a little bit about our merchandise store. Go check it out. We now, page have the top only gas merchandise store online. I'm not sure how great that is. I'm not sure how many other merchandise stores there are for oil and gas. There's quite a few, actually. There's a few, but Matt, our search engine optimization expert and our CMO did some research, and we have the number one oil and gas merch site online right now, which is really cool. What else is cool? If you want myself or any of our experts to come speak at your event, reach out. Everything from keynotes to bring in live podcasts, happy to do it. People love it, and it's fun, and it's just a good thing to do. I just like meeting everyone. 
And we get to meet our listeners in person, which I love. First Friday Q&A, you now have to go to OGGN.com and leave your question. You can also hit us up on every social platform out there except Facebook. Don't use Facebook because I don't check the message there. We will, by January, have our TikTok account up. So whenever we get that up and running, you can... I mean, it exists. It's just... Well, we'll have our TikTok team up and running the account, I should say. But yeah, hit us up. First Friday Q&A. Love the questions. Remember, the goal is not to stump page and I, but to educate your peers. You ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. 